episode of Creative Pursuits. Very glad to have you here with us for this very special kind of pop culture focused episode. Uh, before I go any further, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. We really appreciate it. Anyway, our guest today is Kylie Chung. She's a writer with Salon, a pop culture writer. Uh, I found her work when I when I was actually rev- when I Google searched a new Netflix series, which you'll find out which one during the course of the conversation. But we our talk today kind of runs the gamut in terms of new releases uh, on streaming services. We talk movies. We talk. Uh, television series, all sorts of good stuff. We talked the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's a lot of fun, fun content that we kind of parse through. And Kylie has a really interesting perspective that was clear to me in her writing. And that's why I reached out and uh, wanted to get her on the podcast. Okay, before we get started, this podcast is supported by, sponsored by Team People. You've heard me say it before many times, Team People is building dynamic media teams. How do they do it? Well, first, you need the clients and Team People has them. Networks, production companies, corporations, government agencies, and nonprofits. Next, you need the jobs. And if you do it, they probably have it. Producers, editors, designers, camera, audio, and newer stuff like UI UX, MAMs, DAMs, social media, the list goes on and on. If you're looking for your next thing, full-time or gig work, you really need to check out their job board at teampeople.tv. Then get signed up with them by answering a few questions, uploading a CV. If they see a job that matches your profile, and this may be the best part, you'll get contacted by one of Team People's superstar recruiters. And these are media people hiring media people, so it works. Look, if you're too busy to keep checking a job board, great, but don't miss what could potentially be a big opportunity for you. Check Team People out at teampeople.tv. Like I said, give them a follow on Twitter at TeamPeopleTV and get on the road to your next big thing. Get with Team People today. And with that said, let's get to my conversation with Kylie Chung. May I started with Salon as a staff writer covering culture. Before that, um, I was just doing a lot of kind of freelance writing and reporting, mostly focused on like gender and politics and specifically like reproductive rights issues, which is still definitely um, a big passion of mine. Um, and I've written a couple books of essays um, or feminist essays. Um, and yeah, I worked um, also doing communications work um, in the area of reproductive rights and reproductive justice before this so yeah how is the how's the salon gig because that's actually how I came across your work was for an article you wrote for salon so how are you enjoying um that that gig um it's been really great I've gotten to interview some really um some really cool and exciting people um who are working on some really interesting shows and movies and before that I didn't do too much um entertainment um reporting and so um that's definitely been a really fun learning experience. And um, yeah, I also have been able to write a lot on gender and, um, you know, where 
um, how that's represented in um, in culture and in TV and movies that are um, really exploring some new some new angles around that these days. So that's been really exciting. I I could not underscore that anymore. Uh, so if if <laughs> this obviously, I'm going to post some links to Kylie's to your writing in the show notes. But that's why I wanted to have you on because you do have an interesting perspective, and I want to talk about some pop culture. It, some pop culture, I guess, recent events that have happened. Uh, I don't know if you could call them events, streaming events, <laughs> TV shows, movies. But I, I basically, I noticed you had pretty much written an article about like the last three things that I had watched and also, oh, wow. <laughs> and also had uncovered facets to these, to these shows. Some, some of them were shows, some of them were movies that really kind of went over my head for, for a variety of reasons. I'm not exactly the most attentive watcher of, of <laughs> content. You know, I'm usually, I unfortunately suffer from the, the two screen syndrome where I oftentimes will have my, I'll be scrolling my phone. Uh, and yeah, I do that too. Yeah. yeah. So before, <laughs> before we get into that though, I'm just kind of curious, what was it just your interest in in gender and whatnot that drew you to journalism and you wanted to be able to kind of delve into these issues and educate people or educate yourself? Like, how did you end up falling into journalism to begin with? Sure, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think the thing that's really um, exciting and fun about um, any work in journalism is that you learn, I think that um, it's really a learning experience for you too, as well as, the people who read your work, which keeps it really exciting. But I also think that, um, yeah, what I'm really passionate about with journalism and working in media is definitely kind of challenging um, these ideas about like an unbiased media landscape or about objectivity bias and kind of just um, challenging these ideas that there's any kind of like default audience that you should be catering your work around or centering your work around keeping um, yeah, around keeping like a specific audience comfortable and just instead kind of um, understanding like that there's a truth, there's like a difference between like truth and objectivity and not being like afraid to point out, um, yeah, to point out the different oppressions, the different, um, yeah, the different um, experiences with marginalization that I think, um, I think a lot of traditional media um, sometimes yeah, sometimes doesn't really touch on if that makes any sense. But um, yeah, I think that to your point, um, I definitely was really interested in exploring different gender-based oppressions that are still happening and being able to do deeper dives in that and explore areas where I don't feel there's been as much reporting as there should be. But yeah. I I think that's, you you definitely in your work do kind of demystify. I mean, because again, like a lot of the levels of what we're seeing to so many people I think are just not, it's not, it's not completely evident and probably purposefully. So I know that you wrote an article recently kind of talking about a show that maybe showed, uh, showed a different perspective. I think it was Tuka and and Birdie. Am I, is that correct? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So can you, can you kind of talk a little bit? I, I, uh, unfortunately I haven't actually watched it, but I did read the article and you brought up some really interesting points can you kind of elucidate what it was that you were talking about and what you thought that show did so well? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that what, what I was just talking about a bit earlier is kind of this 
um, idea that, you know, whether it's cable news media or like movies and TV for a long time, I think like, um, like, I think, I think some, there's like a very specific audience in mind that a lot of this media is really catered to and like the comfort and like interest of like the white male gaze, for example. And I think that Tuca and Birdie, um, going back to kind of the end of the first season, well, it's an adult cartoon and it stars Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish um, for anyone who might not be familiar with it. But basically um, what I really wrote about was that I really appreciated this one storyline at the end of the first season. Um, it follows one of the characters' experiences with sexual assault and how that had really traumatized her at a young age. And they really center, you know, her experience with grappling with that trauma. And I think that, you know, instead of like actually showing a scene of that violence um, taking place. And I think that, you know, historically there's been a really long-standing issue and a lot of celebrities even have talked about this before, but just there's so much content out there where, you know, rape and sexual violence and violence against women are such, I think, like casual and routine aspects of um, what we see portrayed. And it's just without consideration of, you know, how triggering and harmful that can be for, you know, audiences who are survivors or female audiences. And I think that, you know, we have seen some progress in terms of moving away from that. And I think even toward the end of Game of Thrones, for example, that was one show that received a lot of criticism. And I think by the end, they really toned that down. Um, but yeah, going back to Tuca and Birdie, what I had a lot of appreciation for was, you know, not only that they didn't um, just show, you know, triggering and graphic um, violent material, well, which wouldn't really even be on brand since it's a pretty fun um, adult cartoon. But, but um, I think in addition to, you know, having respect for audiences in that way and not um, produce or not portraying more potentially um, triggering content for survivors was that, you know, they really explore the long-term impacts of experiencing sexual violence. Whereas I feel like a lot of media portrayals of sexual violence just kind of show that scene and you know that's that and they don't ever really meditate on like the long-term mental health and obviously maybe physical um impacts of that as well so I thought that that was really well done and um yeah it's a great show and so I'm glad I was able to explore that yeah I saw that I guess Netflix it was canceled on Netflix and then Adult Swim mm -hmm. picked it up so that's I'll have yeah. to check out at some point um I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different avenues I feel like we could go from here, but I think what I'm curious about, just because we haven't, I haven't had, I don't think a pop culture critic writer such <laughs> as yourself on this podcast before. Um, it is really cool that Tuca and Birdie is out there. There is more content being created now than ever before, which I think does allow for more uh, for more voices to be heard, for sure. But for you as a pop culture writer, how do you choose what, I mean, there's so much to watch. How do you choose what you're going to watch? And then more importantly, what you're going to write about? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I, I wouldn't say I have like um, one very specific process and you're right. I mean, there's just such a huge saturation of content right now, just because you know, there's all of these different streaming services and like summer is also just a crazy time for a lot of new shows and movies. So I don't know, I guess I'm definitely um, on all of these lists for updates on like new titles that are coming to the different streaming platforms. Right. Um, definitely get a lot of emails flagging things that are coming up. And yeah, I mean, I personally just really 
enjoy and like to keep my eye on stories that explore, um, you know, diverse identities that explore gender and race and sexuality and um, yeah, and all of the different ways that we're seeing shifts and how that's portrayed. So that's something that I personally really um, like to keep an eye on. And so do the people that I work with at Salon. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely, um, there's definitely a lot um, that's always coming and a lot to stay on top of. Are you subscribed to the Shutter streaming service? Um, I don't think I am actually. Okay. Um, it's like the yeah. horror movie. It's the, are you familiar with um, it? Um, no, I'm not. Um, do, so you like do you like horrors? Horror? Um, I mean, I think that there's definitely some interesting new titles in that genre. I think whether it's like, you know, the way Jordan Peele has produced really um, transformative work or more recently false positive. And I really find horror like an interesting way to like explore different, you know, ongoing social oppressions and I like how that's being used these days but I wouldn't necessarily call myself um a horror fan okay but that sounds interesting um, yeah sh shutters shutters pretty solid I think it's for the relatively affordable price of 5.99 a month oh, great. something like that uh, but so I did watch false positive and I do I do want to get your take on that but bef before oh, sure. we, we <laughs> before we move on to to that one I'm curious so for me I kind of have my rule of thumb is that I don't, I try not to start watching content until after the sun goes down or until the evening's gloaming dusk, just because I usually will feel guilty. Now I do make an exception for baseball, which, you know, for six months out of the year, my team is actually located on the East coast. So the games are oftentimes starting at four, 4 PM, uh, during like the early summer months, in which case, you know, I'm spending a lot of time watching, potentially watching TV while the sun is still still out. When do you carve out time to watch to watch films? And additionally, like we both talked about suffering from this two screen, I'll be yeah. honest, some, sometimes the three screen syndrome. Um, how do you how do you like stay focused and dialed in and kind of get find your tack uh, or what the salient point is of a, of a given pieces that you want to tackle? Uh, particularly also when there's just all these distractions uh, floating around? Yeah, those are both good questions. Um, I think for your first one in terms of when I find time to watch, I mean, before I started working um, in this position at Salon, I definitely was more of a, it felt kind of weird to watch um, TV before, you're right, before evening and stuff. But, right. you know, definitely whenever I'm eating a meal, it just feels weird to be eating and not watching something at the same time. I don't right. know if that's a common experience, but definitely for me. But um, now I, I think that, you know, since a part of my job is watching um, new content sometimes before it's out, you know, I have adjusted to kind of making myself find time in those afternoons and mornings to watch some of that. But in terms of when I watch um, content more on my own time and more for fun, I'm definitely still um, watching in the evening or watching during meals and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, for your other question about, um, you know, paying or, you know, finding, um, I think finding, you know, these important themes and details in different content while also um, being distracted about my phone or other things on my computer it's definitely hard um, I've definitely found I have to rewind a lot I definitely have found um, yeah definitely rewinding a lot and I think also just like sometimes deliberately like pausing if I really um, 
I'm really itching to know like what's on Twitter while I'm watching. Right. Um, so yeah, I think being, yeah, I think being conscious about like when I absolutely have to like look at my phone or another screen so I can pause and not miss anything. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's definitely a problem. I know a lot of people have that problem. Um, yeah, I think also, let me think like note taking a bit, like doing as much preparation as I can in terms of like knowing, um, what the show or movie is really premised on and who's involved in as much details of what I should be looking out for as possible. Um, yeah, I think something weird about me actually is, um, I think, or a lot of people find this weird, but like, um, I really enjoy spoilers. I don't know. Like I really like to know or have some expectation of like what's going to happen um, and what I'm going to watch because I feel like it actually like that basic surface level knowledge helps me have like be able to like analyze as I'm watching. Whereas like if I didn't, if I had to like use the brain processing energy to be like trying to figure out what's going on as it's happening, I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> that's something that I don't know. That's something that I'm into. Well, um, but yeah. my key, my key takeaway is you are pro spoiler. That <laughs> I that <hate> is, personally, <laughs> but um, I would never try to spoil someone else's experience. But <laughs> sure, one uh, one universe where I think spoilers have become particularly per particularly an issue. I remember like the Game of Thrones, like the day after Game of Thrones, like the spoilers would always be kind of floating around but I know the Marvel universe is also, you know, you got to be careful with the, with spoilers over there. And I also knew from kind of doing some background before talking to you that you're a big Marvel universe yeah. fan. Um, I mean, they certainly cater to a wide audience, although maybe, I, I mean, I don't know. What is your, what is your take on the Marvel universe? Like, obviously it's kind of going through, I guess, a transformational phase right now what is it that you find appealing and what do you what do you think about this new direction that they're taking is it is are you excited about it yeah wow I could really talk about Marvel all day so let me try to think um yeah I think that what's interesting especially for like um WandaVision um in terms of like what you were talking about about spoilers is like I think that there are a lot of people um, who are into the MCU, um, like the movie or the movie ad adaptations and such, and like have deep familiarity of like the different comic book storylines and all of that. And there's some people who know nothing about that. And I'm very much in that camp. So it's right. always really interesting. And like, um, I don't know, it's like very interesting to like read all these different theories that draw on the comic books and also know that, you know, while the MCU does draw a lot from them, they also often go in entirely different directions. So I think what's interesting is like, yeah, there's like spoilers kind of, but also at the same time, not really. It's more like theories. I don't know, but they're definitely, um, I don't know. Yeah, there definitely have probably been like spoiler problems with the MCU before, but yeah, I think in terms of this new direction, um, it has been really interesting to see, um, you know, this studio that's like, they're known for these really big, action movies that are really only kind of conducive to like the big screen in terms of like theaters and stuff so it's been interesting and kind of unexpected to see where they would go in terms of developing these tv these television series um for screen for streaming um and i think wandavision in particular was so interesting to see them really embrace like being a television show and not just like 
an action movie for the TV screen, which I think is what Falcon and the Winter Soldier kind of fell into. And I love Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I love those characters so much. But I definitely think um, it could have been written a bit better for television and not just kind of an action movie split into these six parts. But yeah, I think that what was really interesting and powerful about that show is definitely how it wades into, you know, this really important um analysis of like black identity in america and like all of the different ways that we didn't notice these different aspects of i guess like white privilege with steve rogers story and um just like yeah i think and like the how the racism of the super soldier program um really mirrors a lot of dark realities of this country um so i think that it was really interesting to see marvel in so many ways get real about i guess like the real world and kind of go beyond like you know, these fantasy, this fantasy, like superhero um, world that we often see them explore. And with Loki, I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of conversation specifically about his like sexual identity and um, like confirming that his character is bisexual. And also like, um, you know, there's been a lot of interesting conversations about like what a lady Loki would mean. And like, is that like, um, is is that like representation of like, um, or even like the fact that his, um, like his sex um, is shown as like fluid in his yeah in like the show and so I don't know there's been like a lot of interesting nods to that even though I think that you know we're still really waiting for like actual maybe more meaningful representation of what that would actually mean to have like LGBTQ superheroes and like characters um, on Marvel where their identity is a significant part of their story. So yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I definitely think it's exciting to see Marvel kind of lean more into, you know, how these important characters, different identities um, play a role in their stories. And I definitely think we need more of that. So I'm excited for some of their upcoming projects, but yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to me because um, I, love Marvel movies a lot obviously my dog is named um Bucky after Bucky but I think it's also been really interesting to see the conversations around like kind of more nuanced enjoyment of these movies or like even criticism of how um of how like I don't know there's a lot of conversation about how like are all superheroes cops and like about Marvel's connections even with like consulting with the military and so there's definitely a lot of conversation about that on social media all the time and yeah I I definitely think it's um possible to like still enjoy these movies and also kind of um you know do your own um critical thinking and reflection on um the way a lot of what we see on screen is going to be favorable um, toward or kind of be kind of an extension of like what a lot of people call propaganda. And so, yeah, I think that those conversations are super interesting, but yeah. It's, it sounds like I I haven't seen any of the Disney plus shows yet, but from what you're telling me, it sounds like they are asking probing questions. They are doing some work, certainly more than I'm accustomed to. I mean, I was a big Spider-Man two fan back in the day and I don't really know if, if they were doing much other than showing Peter Parker being, being awkward, just in, in general, just kind of moping around in, in high school, playing dashboard confessional. And I think, what was it? Oh, taking back Sunday was on that soundtrack talking about copaganda. There was a show recently that was really, I think kind of lighting up the blogosphere, the Twitter sphere, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I know I enjoyed this show for the most part. 
um, mayor of East Town. Yeah. But I found your take because it kind of cut against the grain of what of most of the discourse that I was kind of following along with. Um, can you talk, did, first of all, did you like Mayor of Easttown? And then, and then can you kind of talk about some of the, the issues, the other issues that you found with, with the series? Sure. Um, did I like Mayor of Easttown? Definitely. definitely. Um, I think that we saw some really um, important storytelling in a lot of different ways than we think. Just because I think for one thing, um, there's definitely been some discourse about this, but I think there's such an underrepresentation of stories about women in their 50s or women who are like middle-aged and we kind of just see like women supposedly disappear like from storytelling when they get to a certain age um, and they can no longer be like hypersexualized. Right. So I think that that um, it was really great to see this really complex story of a woman who is like, you know, who's like middle-aged and is dealing with a lot of the different problems, especially pertaining to family that can come up at that time in your life. Um, so that was really important. And yeah, it was definitely really interesting um, storytelling. I think to your point about what I wrote about, it's just, um, yeah, I think this notion of, you know, what's increasingly called copaganda is that, you know, when we see these portrayals of like, people who are members of law enforcement and, you know, um, we often see them being really helpful and um, be really helpful toward um, victims who might be survivors, say sexual violence and other um, crimes like that. And I think that, you know, the criticism of that really kind of extends from how, like when we portray like these um, good and compassionate individuals who definitely exist in law enforcement systems, it's kind of, I think that we're supposed to kind of internalize this idea that all members of law enforcement like, are like that or more broadly that the system of law enforcement itself is like that when I think um, almost any survivor you could speak to who has, um, who has, I don't know, who has sought help or support from these law enforcement systems could tell you that, you know, that wasn't their experience and they were very much intimidated or harmed. Or, you know, you could look at the statistics and numbers that are pretty disturbing and show, you know, trends of in addition to kind of like the racist profiling and um, violence that has become so common, there's also this issue of domestic abuse and um, sexual violence perpetrated by police officers who then kind of have the power to um, cover up those acts. And so, you know, I think that a lot of that is obfuscated or kind of hidden when we see these portrayals of members of law enforcement who, you know, are like on the sides of victims when, right. you know, in reality, that isn't necessarily the case. And yeah, I think that my point um, in writing about this or using Merit Easttown as an example in what I was writing was to say that there are no members of law enforcement like her, but that it's harmful when we see portrayals like this that tell us that the system itself is like that when right. um, that's not, um, that's not exactly the case. So yeah. yeah, a lot of what you see on HBO is these is these champions of people who have been, who have been victims of horrible crimes or, um, I mean, another one I, I was thinking of was the night of, you know, John Turturro, Riz Ahmed, and he kind of, he kind of takes that case and, and sees it through to the end over an eight episode limited series, but that's not par for the course by any stretch. Yeah. Right. Um, so my one friend calls me, uh, he, he has a nickname for me, Congrejo. Uh, crab in Spanish because he says he says I I oftentimes am moving backwards. Um, oh. <laughs> allow me to allow me to do that here. 
this did you see this spoiler for spoiler alert everyone for the new spider-man movie how that we already talked about toby Maguire. how they're planning on bringing all of the spider-men back have you heard about this one I've like read about that being kind of rumored. I hadn't known if that was true or not, but I've definitely heard um, heard about that. So I want to stick with superheroes because there is one, primarily there's one kind of entertainment news site that I go to and I have been going there for going on almost two, two decades, I want to say. It's called darkhorizons.com. Have you heard of this one? I might have it, but I'll definitely check that out. That sounds well, reliable I, if you've been I, going for 20 years. I mean, back in the day, I started going there. It was It's not quite 20 years. It's probably more like 15 or more. I started I started checking it out in college. It's cool. You know, it's just kind of a digest. They just have all, all of these little articles. The, the guy, his name is Garth. He's posting them up there every day. I think he, I think he's Australian or he's, or he lives in New Zealand. Um, so they also like update the site at we, I like in the middle of the night for me, if I like refresh in the middle of the night, oftentimes there's a whole bevy of new articles. Anyway, one of the articles I saw recently was this article about Batman and Catwoman on the Harley Quinn show. And apparently writers for Harley Quinn had planned on, they had written a scene where Batman is performing oral sex on Catwoman. And this is a show that's that's geared for a, a mature audience, right? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And so I kind of, you know, I read this and I thought, you know, that's that's a shame. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, we, we haven't necessarily seen that in the DC universe. And this seems like something that would be progress in, in some regard. Um, and you obviously were able to unpack this much better than my you know, doom scrolling ADHD mind could, can you, can you talk a little bit about this, uh, about this, this, uh, occurrence, I guess? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I think one of the creators and like, it was kind of buried in this interview with variety about, you know, how, like, we're seeing a lot of subversion of like superhero tropes and like exploration of like, you know, these exciting villains, which is really cool. And so I think one of the creators said something about how like they originally had that scene and then like, and this is an HBO show and then DC got wind of it and like told them not to because they were like, well, heroes don't do that. And like, it will affect our ability to like sell Batman products or something, which was really just weird and like, didn't really make any sense. But I also think like a few things kind of stand out to me in that like, it's just crazy because it's just like, you know, saying heroes don't do this. It's like very much like upholding kind of with this, like, I don't know, like this idea of like a macho superhero who's like the pinnacle of like masculinity to which like men are supposed to aspire. And then the message here is that like pleasing your female partner or be, or like focusing on like your female partner in that way is somehow like less masculine or like less being a hero, which is just what? Um, But yeah, I think speaking to like a more... (laughs) Yeah. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. If anything, it would be the opposite. I w- I would think, but I'm so sorry for yeah. for cutting you off. <laughs> oh no, you didn't at all. Um. Yeah. I think the only thing I was gonna say is just like, I don't know. It definitely speaks to like this broader issue and like um recurring theme of kind of like the erasure of like women's sexual pleasure on screen. And I think that you know, 
I don't know. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of women pop culture critics who have done a lot of really cool and interesting research about this, where they've gone through and like watched like so many movies and shows and like found that you know there's just like I don't know. It's just definitely concerning if like um, men with like female sexual partners are like mostly getting their ideas about what they should be doing from like on screen representations, just because there's so little actual representation of like anything other than like <laughs> direct um sexual intercourse and like right. penetration like being what is supposed to like please women and there's so little exploration of like again going back to that idea of like what this content is made for and if it were made for the female gaze or for more women audiences or more lgbtq audiences right. you know i think that we would definitely see some more diverse representation of like what actually happens and what is actually enjoyable but yeah I think that you know speaking of this issue like there's a long history I think of like MPAA ratings like um being I don't know a lot harsher with like um movies that have like depictions of women receiving oral sex versus like men receiving it I think that you know they're more likely to be like rated R just for that alone when I don't know you could probably have like these really violent or like pretty violent movies still be rated PG-13, but then you throw that in and then it's rated R. Um, So yeah, I think that 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 definitely speaks to this idea that like women enjoying sex and like women like having any kind of like sexual agency or sexual pleasure that isn't just centered around like pleasing a man. There's still a lot of like taboo around that. You know, like we're seeing so much more like empowerment, uh, like sexual empowerment of women to like really be able to embrace that part of themselves and not be ashamed of that. And like, we're seeing a lot of progress, but then of course there's always still um, things like this with like with the Harley Quinn series. And so it's always still a reminder that there's still that stigma there and that taboo there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It seems ridiculous that's still taboo in 2021, but I think it's work like what you did in your article and, and other people calling it out where, you know, people will think twice before they're like, you know what, we got to nix, nix that scene. Cause it's, cause it's just, it's just, it's ridiculous for all of the, for all the reasons that you've elucidated. Uh, and speaking of sex, so not to, I've kind of buried the lead, but I mentioned that I came across your work when I was looking up a different TV show. So yeah. you also mentioned that like you get, you get lists and whatnot from I don't know if you just are checking like the vulture list or whatever, but I, for one of the other podcasts that I do, um, we decided to talk a little bit of what's coming on Netflix. Cause I'd seen that I'd gotten this email, uh, from them. This, at, at this point, this was June 13th. It's called the look ahead and it had black summer season two fatherhood coming Friday at the time, the ice road coming June 25th the seventh day, so on and so so on. So, so speaking of sex and depictions of sex on screen, I saw this one that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, season one coming June 25th. So it it's, it's out there now. And the show, they have four descriptors for it. Soapy, steamy, intimate, emotional. A woman's daring sexual past collides with her married with kids present. When the bad boy X, she can't stop fantasizing about <laughs> crashes back into her life. Kylie, of course, I'm talking about Netflix's sex slash life. Yeah. So (laughs) you wrote a cool article about this, which is something that I've seen. I've seen articles written about, about 
kind of about this topic uh, before. This topic is the nice guy trope, right? <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, always you get this like, for me, and I am a straight white male, like I'm creeped out when people are, if someone in real life or on screen is like trying to, people are trying to, they're trying to impress upon you that this person is a good person. I mean, if someone is telling me that, I almost am like this, I, I think the opposite. Um, that's true of yeah. a, a, a lot of people in, in public in public arenas um, and again, on during on-screen depictions. So I'm curious, folks, if you haven't seen Sex Slash Life, I mean, it's a good kind of show to be on your phone and watching, I think, you know what I mean? Just as kind of just a junk, junk filler in the background. But um, what, so can you talk about this nice guy, nice guy trope? And maybe just, I mean, I, I guess I already gave a summary of the show, but maybe your general thoughts on the show and then also kind yeah. of what you, the, these more, these more um, pointed uh, comments that you had about the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm big. I mean, to your point about being able to be on your phone while watching the show, um, I would definitely agree. It's, I mean, like, <laughs> there is definitely a need for, I think it definitely fills a need for, I don't know, like trashy TV that we, you know, it still has some interesting points. Um, it's still fun, but yeah, I mean, not everything is going to be like, um, I don't know, not everything is going to be like Game of Thrones or something. It's, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, um, so yeah, I guess overall kind of a little summary of the show is basically, um, you know, there's this woman who seems to, I guess, have a doll. She's married to this pretty wealthy man in finance. They have a great life. They have two really cute kids and they live in this suburb in Connecticut. Um, but before that she had a really wild and, um, really fun looking life, um, as a, I think psychology PhD student um, who really loved what she was doing and also obviously had a pretty, pretty fun, like a pretty wild sex life as well. And so, right. you know, all of that kind of got left behind when she married and had kids and kind of fulfilled, um, yeah, fulfilled that societal expectation of like what women are supposed to do in terms of like leaving all of who they were behind when they become like a mother. And so, you know, I think what's interesting is there are definitely some pretty like important um feminist points that the show impresses upon you but it's just kind of bungled in that it's just kind of I don't know just kind of bungled among different cliches and among I think definitely for me what really ruined it a bit or a lot um was I think to your point about like the characterization of the woman whose name is Billy and her husband Cooper who is like portrayed as it's really forced down your throat that he's like this really nice guy and she owes him everything and I mean yeah I think to your point about like that trope um about the nice guy I think what bothers me about it specifically is that I think that that trope um on screen and in real life it exists solely because of the very very low standards that we have for men to be seen as like decent or good people because there's just this cultural expectation of like boys will be boys and um like just very low standards for like how men are supposed to act or treat women or anything like that and so like her husband Cooper he's this guy who's like um he's a man with a pulse who wanted to marry and have kids and so because of that he's seen sweepingly as this very as this like nice perfect guy and like if she even thinks about having desires outside of what he 
you know, fails to fulfill for her, then like she should be ashamed and stuff. Um, yeah. And I think the show really impresses that upon her and upon like, that's how you're supposed to kind of see it. Um, but when I think, I don't know if I want to like spoil it in any way, but like, there's definitely a lot of things that he does that are pretty, pretty shitty. They're crazy. It's, it's, uh, it's cringe. Some of the yeah. scenes where he's kind of throwing a tantrum uh, yeah. once he kind of becomes a, uh, he, he becomes privy to some of her life prior to their relationship. Yeah, definitely. I mean. <laughs> All right. So we are, we already mentioned it uh, on Hulu. There was a show that I ended up watching. It was a movie that I watched with my sister the other day. False, false positive. Did you, so this one, I guess it was co-written by Alana glazer of broad yeah. city fame were you a broad city were you a broad city fan um i watched definitely a lot of episodes i think a lot of people i know definitely thought that i don't know like that show reminded them a lot of me but i have yet to really dive into it um but i know it's really cool i know it's like really um it's like i don't know i don't think that we get enough shows or movies that just let women be funny and wild and stoners and stuff like that so I think that that was some really important <laughs> representation um yeah I but yeah I'm definitely a fan of Ilana Glazer um I just haven't fully dove into that show let yet, me which is <laughs> let me ask you something else Kylie now just because we so uh, recently on Dark Horizons I mentioned earlier shout out darkhorizons.com I saw a post Lena Dunham directing Polly Pocket movie did you see this one? Yeah, I saw a bit about that. I haven't really, again, well, I haven't really. So my, my question is, I'm curious, I'm curious, did you watch Girls? And what were your, what was your thought on that show back in the day, if you did watch it? Yeah, I, again, it's like kind of with Broad City where I watched some of it. I never really got too into it. Um, but yeah, I think that there were some pretty interesting storylines in it. I think that there was an abortion storyline that I thought was really cool where they were just really pretty casual about it, which is good. I, yeah, it sounds like it was a pretty, it sounds like it was a really fun show. Um, I'm not too much of a fan of Lena Dunham's work, but, yeah. or <laughs> her, but um, yeah, I think that shows like Girls in Broad City are shows I'd love to see more of um, that are really centered around like female friendships and, I don't know, like women being allowed to be funny and dumb and weird in the ways that we've seen so many like male centric comedies. So sure. Yeah. yeah I, have, I have a friend, um, friend of the podcast who back in the day would only watch two shows, girls and Shaws of sunset. So those were the two that was his whole media diet. We do have a media <laughs> diet segment that we're going to get to a little bit later, but yeah, false positive. Fun. Did you, did you, like this one um what did you make of mm -hmm. false positive i guess she's she undergoes some kind of alana glazer's character undergoes you could probably uh describe it better than me but she ends up <laughs> undergoing an experimental ivf treatment she's trying to get yeah. pregnant with her husband justin thoreau um <laughs> kylie you t you t take it away Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, first, like a lot of Glazer looks so different in this. I didn't recognize her at first yeah. even. Um, but yeah, so it's, 
Interesting. Um, it's like a horror movie that it's premised around a pretty relatable thing at first. There's this couple where they've been struggling to get pregnant. Um, so they turn to other alternatives. They turn to um, this experimental IVF program. And yeah, they're, they, they're able to get pregnant successfully, but then there's kind of this string of pretty scary, <laughs> mysterious things happening where um, I think where it starts to turn is when she finds out that she's pregnant with triplets, but then, you right. know, she's going to have to go through a um, reductive redu- reduction abortion um, to, I think, make sure that it's a safe, healthy pregnancy. So to either like keep the female fetus or um, keep the twin male fetuses. And so, yeah, I think that's where it starts to get a bit ominous. And from there, I mean, you know, she's pregnant, she's experiencing all of these like or she's having all these different suspicions and fears and like kind of alarms about like um, their fertility doctor, who's definitely creepy from the moment he enters the screen. And yeah, I think what's really scary and uncomfortable about the movie is just like how relatable it is to like have to be a woman and especially a pregnant person. And like, I think, you know, have these different fears and concerns and have them always kind of dismissed in different ways and often under some like benign, like, some like yeah, yeah some kind of like benign pretend mommy of, brain like, yeah exactly of like caring about you and like oh it's like yeah I think that it's it's definitely like textbook gaslighting um and so yeah and I think that we we see so much of that directed at um woman patients or pregnant patients in the medical system and you know I mean like there's some real concerning like real life real world implications to that I mean like you know we have such high maternal and um yeah maternal mortality and complication rates because you know like for just for a lot of the reasons that we see on screen where it's like when you know a pregnant person has some kind of discomfort or they're in pain or like they have like different complaints and such those just aren't taken seriously and like you don't have credibility over like your own body and your own experience in that way which is really scary and like is honestly perfect fodder for or like material for horror films so I think it's interesting to see false positive become kind of the latest movie or show that uses you know reproduction and pregnancy and you know instead of that traditional like starry-eyed like take of like you know the miracle of life and how pregnancy right. and birth are such miracles and beautiful and all of that I think that you know there's whether it's false positive or like The Handmaid's Tale or, you know, definitely some other titles recently or as long ago as like with Rosemary's Baby in like the 1960s. Like there's a lot of um, on-screen representations that are really picking that apart, which is I think more relevant than ever now that we're seeing, you know, just these escalated attacks on like reproductive health care, on pregnancy and on, again, all of that goes or like it strikes at the heart of how you know, we deny in the medical system and in our politics, obviously, we deny um, women and pregnant people autonomy and credibility and trust that they can like make their own decisions or trust that they know what their bodies are telling them. And we kind of just dismiss it. We kind of just control them in different ways while pretending to care about them. Um, So yeah, (laughs) that's what I, I thought it was so interesting how, you know, like, we are telling that story in the form of a horror movie because it's perfect material for a horror movie, even if like you might not see the connections at first. But yeah, I think um, the messages in it were really strong. Um, I think the way it was carried out wasn't necessarily like the most coherent or cohesive movie I've ever seen. Right. But I really appreciated that um, that those messages were in there. For sure. For sure. Uh, thank you for 
unpacking all of these new releases. Um, we are starting to wind down. So now we do, I do media diet. I kind of ask people what, what they've been watching. We kind of, we kind of have done this. So I'm going to kind of do, <laughs> I'm going to kind of do a twist on this. Well, first of all, I want to ask you if you could only watch one of these three MCU Disney plus shows um, between the WandaVision, Loki and the Falcon Winter Soldier, which one mm. are you going with? That's really hard for me because um, like I have such a strong personal attachment to Bucky and to the Falcon and you know all that Captain America stuff but I definitely yeah I don't think it was necessarily the best of these shows for the reasons we talked about a bit right so I, I think honestly what I'm really interested in right now and I don't know if it's recency bias but I'm really really um, pretty addicted to Loki right now pretty um, fascinated by where it's going um, so I'd probably go with that, even though, again, I mean, I love what WandaVision was doing too, but if I was picking one, probably, probably Loki. Copy that. All right. We got a Loki. We can reassess a year from now <laughs> once uh, Falcon Winter Soldier season two is in the books. Have you been reading anything or is there anything that you've read over the last few months in particular that struck you? Yeah. I mean, it's nonfiction, so not as fun as like everything we've been talking about, but this book by um, Sarah Jaff called Work Won't Love You Back. And it's like this really interesting, um, well-reported book exploring all of the different ways or like approaches to modern workplace exploitation that go beyond, you know, like all of the expected ways and like the different ways that people's love for their jobs or like what um, issue area or like whatever they're working in, the way that's like kind of weaponized against them to like exploit them and make them expect like less or like not as good, like working conditions. So it's right. really interesting. It's really well reported, love it. Um, cool. Yeah. I'll have to check that one out. My my queue, my book queue at this point is like 30 books long. But um, at this point, <laughs> no, at this point, it's like, what's another one to add to the queue? So I, I'll, I'll definitely, definitely have to check that one out. Um, all right, so sneak preview. Again, I'm gonna post the link to you because I think on, on your website, you have all the articles, all your salon articles on there. Is there something on the schedule that you're looking forward to watching and then potentially breaking down? Um, yeah. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, one show I'm obsessed with that just kind of started um, premiering, but you know, there's still some episodes left in the season. It's called Kevin Can F Himself. I don't know if you've seen anything about that. I did um, see. I have seen some. I saw. I read an article about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just so interesting. I've never seen anything like it. It kind of reminds me a bit of WandaVision and like subverting like these tropes around um, sitcoms. But yeah, it's basically on this woman who's like the prototypical sitcom wife, but, and like this, the show is like split between being like a dark drama and like this really well-lit fun um, sitcom, which is really, right. it has this ominous vibe. I mean, it really just exposes how like a lot of the things we've been laughing, on, uh, laughing um, at on sitcoms that are like centering usually around some like husband or some man. Um, a lot of it has been really, really sexist. And so it's really interesting to see how, you know, on the one side you have it as this funny sitcom. And then on the other side, it's like this woman who's literally plotting to kill her husband because he's like entrapped her in this marriage, spent all their money, completely controls her life. And it's, 
it's really interesting. It like really makes you understand how like domestic abuse isn't just like necessarily physical violence. It's like all the different ways um, that a partner can exert control over you. Um, and so, I mean, like on top of that, it's also just so funny. Um, Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek is in it and I love her. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying that. I've written some, yeah, I've written some coverage of it already. And I think that there will definitely be more to discuss as the show develops. So I'm really excited about that show in particular. Cool. Uh, Kylie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope that we can talk again because we know that the content pipeline is full yeah. and they're just going to keep churning. And uh, yeah. again, I appreciate you lending your perspective and coming on the podcast. Um, Thank you so much. It's been really fun talking to you about all of these different, yeah, like just how much there is out there. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Thank you, Kylie, once more for coming on the podcast. Definitely check out the episode notes, everyone, because there's a link to all of uh, Kylie's writing on there and lots of interesting stuff, lots of thought-provoking work. So go ahead and click that link. Thank you to Team People for supporting and sponsoring this podcast. Thank you to Hideout Hill for providing the music to to this podcast, a link to his music is listed in the episode notes. So make sure to go ahead and check that out as well. And with that said, we will see you next week for another episode of Creative Pursuits. Until next time.